0: All right. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to get started today. Well, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. We're going to get started today, and this won't be a one and done. It won't be. It's too big. And but we're gonna we're gonna start out, and um, as we think about end times, the terminology is called eschatology. Eschatology. Isn't that fun to say? That's right, almost, because ology, ology is the study of, right? And eschaton is the end of the age. So it's the study of the end of the age. So it's eschatology. Now within the subset of eschatology, there are all different kinds of viewpoints. As I told someone this morning, studying eschatology in the end of the age is kind of like a card trick, and it starts with pick a card, any card. And you can pick a card out of the deck, and there's a belief, and there's a person who's super knowledgeable, and when you listen to them, they sound like that. You'll listen to them and go, that's what I believe. And you go, and, oh, that's what I believe. Wait, that's what I believe. How many of y'all have ever started down this road, and that's where you end up, Right? Well, what I discovered was this. And it's not that I already knew it, but I didn't understand how fundamental it was. That there are different systems of interpretation within eschatology that are represented in orthodoxy. What is orthodoxy? Are just general belief systems. And so the systems of belief within orthodoxy the first of which is premillennialism, historical premillennialism. Now, y'all are like, I don't even know what you're saying yet. Just wait. Then you have dispensational premillennialism. And then you have all millennialism. And then you have post millennialism. Now, at the study of end time, those are forms. Imagine those are four forms. And I have like a big sheet right now. And this sheet I unfurl is called eschatology. And I lay it over that form. And it begins to outline it. And each one is different. Some things are come together and they coincide. Other things do not at all. But, so when you're looking at it, like for instance, you said Doug Bachelor, right? I looked him up. He is. You have to know when you're listening to a person who what, you, what form are you coming from. He is an all millennialist. He doesn't believe in an actual millennial. See, so ah no, an actual millennialism, and he believes that the revelation of John has all is he's a future he is a preterist. He believes it is historical facts, not future events. So, so when you so so you listen to that and you're and they're making a lot of sense, right? So when you study in times, you have to understand the person who is talking to you. What system are you talking from? Not not that he won't go to heaven when he dies. See, eschatology. This is not. A matter of if you believe Jesus down, and all of them believe Jesus down on the cross for your sin, and that in that He is the Son of God, and all these things. But what they won't believe is how the end times unfolds. Now, I will be presenting to you as a premillennialist. What does that mean? I believe that there will be a literal. And apparently, all of you do too. Judging by how you answered your questions, I believe there will be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, so if you're so when you're listening to a person teach eschatology, if they now who you say well, who would be all millennial? Who would be post millennial? Lots of people. Our Methodist brothers and sisters are all millennial. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters are probably post-millennial or all-millennial. I've got it for you right here. We're going to give, see here, the see, you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I know, yeah, so, and so we'll, and so when I began study, so I started studying this, and I had a pretty a working knowledge of all these terms, you know what I'm saying, I started studying this in December, and now I have probably read, I just ordered a book today, Michael said, he's like, I'm so sick of these books coming in the mail. (laughs) I have probably read seven books on it. I've listened to hundreds of hours of teaching, and I have been so, like, to the point, I just wanted to pull my hair out listening to it. But when I finally had to come to the place to where I had to have this first or I couldn't move on, then listening to people talk. I mean, it's good to listen to Doug Batchelor. You know, that's fine. Listen to him. But understand what system you're working on. You know what I mean? If, because if you're listening to him and you're a pre-millennialist and you and he's not even coming from premillennialism. He's coming from all millennialism where he believes it's just a symbolic millennial. Now, everybody, all four of these believe that Jesus will come back one day. But the postmillennialists and the all-millennials just believe he will come back and it'll be the new heaven and new earth. Premillennialists believe there will be a millennial kingdom, a literal thousand-year kingdom on earth. And then at the end of that, there will be Satan will be loosed for a short time. And then that will be the final putting away of Satan and then the new heaven and new earth. Does that sound familiar to most of y'all? That's probably how most of you have been taught. Because the majority of people were pre-tribulationalists. Do you believe in the most people in here, far and away, not everybody, believe in a pre-tribulational rapture? Now, that is the big question. (laughs) I, you know, and so that's what really, when I decided, am I going to teach this or not? It came down to this one fact for me. What if there isn't a pre-tribulational rapture? What if the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation? What, what happens if it's at the beginning before the seventh seal or at the mid but not in the beginning. What if, my question came down to this, what if you're among and I'm among the generation that has to face the Antichrist? What if? So that to me, I thought, is it worth teaching it? And what, I, what was the hardest part for me personally? See, because I have been traditionally taught all of my church life that the rapture happens before the tribulation. The hardest thing for me to do was to take that off and try to learn as though I didn't know it. Because it's like a computer. Every time I turned it off and turned it back on, all my presets were back. You know what I mean? I'm like, I thought I erased that. It just comes right back to that. And it was so hard for me to listen without that to take that off and not constantly trying to take my system of theology and put it back into scripture. Does that make sense? Instead, taking scripture as the primary and determining my belief on that. Now, here is the fact. We cannot be dogmatic about eschatology. Now, what did I just say? Dogma, and we've used that. People say, "Oh, she's being dogmatic." You know, we've heard how many of you have heard that term, dogma or dogmatic, and you think it's a super negative term because of the way it's always used. Dogma is just means like the Apostles' Creed is dogma. I believe in the in God the Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit, three in one. I believe in the resurrection that Christ rose from the dead. I believe in um, the the scriptures are the, are the inspired word of God. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe that Jesus is coming back one day. Dogma. If you move outside of those facts, you're heretical. You're a heretic. So dogma's good. But when I say, don't be dogmatic about eschatological things, what am I saying? You can have doctrine about it, beliefs, but if those... Doctrines and beliefs turn into dogma, you might want to be careful. Because there's no... Right. So when we talk about eschatology, we should talk about it with an open hand and with humility. And none of us... You know what? I have to look at... I'm going to be teaching from a premillennial of view and i i believe that with all my heart i do i just believe the bible teaches it but then how about people who teach from a amillennial or a post-millennial they're my brothers and sisters too difference is only one of us get to be right and i hate it's not them no i'm just kidding <laughs> you see that's how we all is that not how it always goes right it's hard, that's where humility, there's humility kicking in or out, humility, humility out, that's right, that's right, ego in, humility out. So, that's how I would like to approach this, and before we start all of this, I want you to be open enough to examine the scriptures like the Bereans, to examine the scriptures to see. is our traditional belief system can we come at the end of the day and go we still put a big check by? or are there places that we have to humbly say in some areas we may be wrong is that not hard to do <clears throat> and even <clears throat> you know and I'm glad you said that Andy and that's spoken like a word of faith guy you know definite revelation from the word of uh, from the spirit here's the reality I understand that language entirely. But the spirit of God cannot reveal anything that's not in the word of God. So many times what we do is that we can find ourselves claiming revelation that is in fact extra biblical. Outside of the Bible. I know you're not, but see that's what see that's what that's what we find that we can we have to have an understanding Of going in Scripture and saying, this is the main and the plain. And here's the thing with with interpreting Scripture. We need to be humble enough to shout what the Scripture shouts and to whisper what the Scriptures whisper. And there are a lot of things it whispers. It doesn't shout it. And we, if we start shouting where the Scripture is whispering... And that's where we start falling into error. And we start working division in the body of Christ. But if we shout what Scripture shouts, then we're good. And because many times when you see a person start shouting what Scripture whispers, they stop shouting what Scripture shouts. They trade one message for the other, and that becomes their, and they just, it has to be right because they've said it. And then they have to make it right. Just here's a fact I know about Scripture, and I have to know it about myself. Just because I believe something doesn't make it true. I can honestly, humbly, sincerely believe something, but it doesn't make it true. We might look at someone and go, but weren't they sincere? The Branch Davidians at Waco, they were sincere. David, the, yeah, with um, Jim Jones, when they mixed up the Kool-Aid and they drank poisonous Kool-Aid, they were sincere. Sincerity is not necessarily the right way. So as we begin, Winston Churchill said this, a famous speech of his. He said, in the beginning, it, oh, this is the beginning of the end, he questioned. This, you say, is the beginning of the end. Referring to World War II He said, "No, no, not by a long shot." He said, "This is the end of the beginning." And so many times studying the end times is so much the same is that we' look at the, at the, the disciples, the apostles, and from there, 2,000 years has passed and, and many people, I mean, 88 reasons why the Lord is going to return in '88, 88, 88 pass <laughs> You know, everybody thinks they're on the edge of the precipice. Now, how many of y'all think, if we're not, we right, y'all think it's you, don't you? Well, it has to be, right? Because we all say, how much worse could it get? Right, there's some, well, time is, a, time is a funny thing in the Word of God. Peter said that a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And no man knows the day or the hour, but you can discern the season. So we should be discerners of the season, and we should stay prepared. So this is my purpose in this teaching, is for us to be prepared. I would love it if you were so prepared that you wouldn't mind if you had to meet the Antichrist. I mean, that I think that probably some people that might kind of go, <laughs> You know what I mean? <coughs> Because, I mean, you're like, nope, 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 nope. But just because you believe something doesn't make it true. <laughs> so I think, I think an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I also believe the um, proverb that says, a wise man foresees danger and prepares for it. But the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So let's go to Second Peter 3, 3 through 13. And we will get to Revelation, it just won't be today. Yeah, we've got it. and so whenever, like I said, whenever you look at any, now as I've listened to any person teaching in times, I can hear them and I'm like, oh, you're post-millennial, oh, you're all-millennial. And, you know, there's some decent stuff. They can all argue it and they all sound convincing. I promise you, I've listened to them all. I came back, though. I went all the way around. I even, I was like, listen to one guy. I was like, okay, convince me. I'm an amillennialist now. And I was like, no, I'm not. And it, I'll say this. For me, all these different systems, it came down to three questions. What do you do with Israel? What do you do with the church? And what do you do with Satan? In all of these systems of theology. Because in in postmillennialism and amillennialism, both of them use some version of replacement theology where the church replaces Israel, right? And I can't, see, I can't go there. I can't have the church replacing Israel. I just, I just don't believe the scriptures teach that the church replaces Israel. And then in post-millennialism and all-millennialism, they both teach. Oh, we got a spill. They both teach. and listen to this. You're going to want to hear this. They both teach that Satan is already bound for a thousand years. All millennialism and post-millennialism, they teach that Satan is already, that's the, that's the key for the millennial, right? Satan's bound for a thousand years. So under this belief system of all millennial and post-millennialism, Satan is bound already. I'm like, man, we're doing a terrible job. He's, so they believe he's already bound for a thousand years. And so you're like, but you know, you listen to them and it's it's quite convincing. And then so, and then also the question for me is with Satan, with the church, and with Israel. So if if people are trying to replace Israel and saying that God basically wrote them off, and see both post millennialism was super, super popular prior to World War II. But then World War One was the war to do what? The war to end all wars, only to find out a few years later, we had another world war. We had World War Two. So World War, and that's what that was the that was the motto of World War One, the war to end all worlds, wars. And so the church believed in postmillennialism, that postmillennialism that the world's just getting better and better and better and better, that the kingdom of God is sown into the culture like leaven. You're like, that's a scripture. It is that it's sown like into the culture and the culture now because of the gospel going forth to the all the corners of the globe that the world is just by virtue of that getting better and better and better and better now you'll see like uh presbyterians are highly post-millennial so what did they do they build hospitals lots of presbyterian hospitals right why why Because they're making the world better. It's just better and better and better and better. But how many of you believe the world's getting better and better? But it fell out of favor after World War II, but now there's a huge resurgence on it. It's kingdom now. In other words, we're bringing the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we are going to bring the, the return of Christ through the kingdom. Now there's a lot of good things I believe in postmillennialism. They really focus on the new postmillennialism, on healing the sick, raising the dead that we're like, that's us too. But see we don't view it in light. I don't view it in light of I am trying to make the kingdom as such a favorable place so Christ will say, hey it looks good enough for me now, I'll step in. I don't see it that way. So Second Peter three And three, now let's listen to what Peter says. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is the coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Isn't that fun? So the the Lord brought everything in creation from where? Out of water. And then he turned around at Noah's day and used the very water to destroy the earth. It's interesting. And so they didn't believe it. Can you imagine if you lived in that day when Noah's saying it's going to rain, there's going to be a flood? And their only context for water coming to the earth was a mist that came up and watered the ground. So if I, you live in that day and I'm like, there's going to be a flood, it's going to destroy the whole earth. And all you have in your mind for flood in context of water is what? A gentle mist. So, you, see how you're doing? You're going, you in that day, you're going, you're crazy. There's a kook out there building a boat on dry ground. <laughs> so, see, it didn't fit. And just because they believed it wasn't true, didn't make it true, not true. So, the, so Peter's pointing this out. He said, so we have the whole earth. It was res-. Now, he says, by these things, the waters also in that time was deluged and destroyed by water. By the same word... Present heavens and earth, that's the one we live in, are reserved for fire. Some of you are like, I don't know, water or fire, my oh, gosh. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Who's gonna be destroyed? Ungodly. But just like in Noah's day, who was destroyed? But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. That's the funny thing about time. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But So will people perish? But everyone to come, everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord God. And speed, it's coming. I'm like, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> how many of you read that? You're like, ah! Oh, oh. I just—how many of y'all are right tracking with me there? You read all that? You're like, they no way! I might have been bored at night, but it wasn't last night. There's no—but I'm not speeding that. How many of you put fast forward on that machine? You're like, rewind, rewind. <laughs> no. So, so we have to understand that. See, instantly, we have to understand our context, right? is that we read that and we're like holy cow that's i don't no way no way but but there's some element in the biblical narratives that says while it's going to be melting and all this burning and all of this that we as the people of God need to be saying come on bring it lord bring it lord bring it lord Do y'all have? A, are, is that kind of? Do y'all kind of struggle there, some a little bit? Honestly, do you struggle a little bit? I mean, I think that we. I think that we do. I, I just think, uh, but we do. It's like yes. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and we're supposed to be hastening this. And the elements will melt in heat, but in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven. And a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, just imagine for a second, though, just imagine for a second, a world where Jesus reigns from the throne of David as the Messiah, as a literal geopolitical entity. Just, can y'all have y'all just thought of that just for a second? Like from Israel, I was just there, from Israel, from the actual Geographical location of Israel. If you're pre-millennial, this is how you believe it. That he will rule from actual physical geographical Israel. And see, when I said that, some of you might go, I don't know. Do I believe that? See, that's where you this is where this is where the questions start coming in. That's what premillennial understanding is, is that he will sit on the throne of David. So, but Peter, where did he get this? Where did he get this? Did he just start, you know, just start coming up with stuff and writing it down? Just like, mm, I don't know, just start writing stuff. He didn't. Peter was teaching what he was taught, he was teaching what he was taught by Jesus himself. Jesus, we won't look at Matthew 24 today, but he's getting that language. We will be looking at Matthew 24. Jesus said this in Matthew 23. Listen to, I just love this scripture. In light of Easter today, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Here's Jesus. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was rejected by his nation. He's still widely rejected by his nation. And so then comes the idea of how do we, how are we as children of God, as believers in Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, how do we relate to Israel? We relate to Israel how the Bible relates to Israel in the New Testament context. We love Israel, and we see them through the redemptive lens that the Word of God sees them through. A redemption that is coming at the return of Messiah. Because they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we were having our God, our ultra-Orthodox God take us around and he's showing us everything, he knows the New Testament scriptures. He quotes large quantities of them as he's taking us to the touring sites, all the New Testament sites. And he says these things, but I know he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But he does believe. See, we get to the Mount of Olives and we're standing at the Mount of Olives and there's that valley that's between it, which is called the Valley of Gehenna, which is where the sheep and the goat nations will be judged. And we see the temple mount setting way up on a hill. There's a huge valley in between. And he says, you see that gate right there? And I have a picture on my phone. And I zoom in. There's this little gate. He said, when the Muslims took over Jerusalem, they sealed the gate. And in front of the gate, there's all these tombstones, old tombstones, where they put a graveyard. They buried dead people in front of the gate. They sealed the gate, and they buried people, all in an attempt because they knew, the Hebrew prophecies, that God would come and he would enter in through that gate. So they sealed it and they put graves in front of it because they knew that a priest would never cross over the graves. And so he said this, didn't he, Mike? He said, he said see, he said that in their opposition is a profession of faith that they know Messiah is coming. doesn't believe he's come yet so see do you see how it's going to pile it's going to come up he's going to come back as the conquering king at which time let's see what does the scripture say the bible says i'm going to move ahead Zechariah 12 and 10 it says this and i will pour out Zechariah 12 10 you can make notes and i will pour out on the house of david and the inhabitants of jerusalem A spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over the firstborn. So, what will Israel ultimately do? When all of the earth, when the Antichrist begins to reign, whenever Jesus takes the seal, we're going to get to this. When he takes the seal, the scroll, he's the one who's worthy to take the scroll. He takes the scroll, and when he opens the very first seal of that scroll, the white horse is going to ride. That's the Antichrist. He will ride on a white horse with a, with a Stephanos crown, a laurel crown. Not a diadem, a Stephanos, it says, which is a temporary crown. It's a laurel wreath that would fade. He has a bow, the Bible says, but it doesn't speak of arrows. He goes forth conquering using a bow, the same language, That Noah, after the flood, a bow was set in the sky. It was a covenant. He will go forth riding through the land with a covenant. And he will start making covenants. And he will bring about a peace in Israel. How many think we need peace in Israel right now? And there will be peace. It will be a pseudo peace. It will be a temporary peace. Right now, we don't hear this in our national news. The Abraham Accords, different people have been signing the Abraham Accords, making peace with Israel. Israel, for the first time, an Israeli can get on a plane and they can fly to Saudi Arabia and get off the plane. Never before heard of. Now, you may wonder why Israel plays such a big role. Because this whole Bible is about them. It's all about them. And so when we, and we're a part of it too. How did I get to be a part of this? By marriage. I'm married. I'm the bride of Christ. So just like, how did you get to be a part of Tommy's family? He married him. He married into it. So all of us, what have we done? We've married into Israel. Does that make sense to y'all? And you take his name. As the church, we are His governing body on the planet, but we are married to Christ and we are brought into the family of Israel. So Israel is very important to you. Kind of like Ruth, it's the Gentile um, Jewish story over and over again. Why are we so concerned about Israel? Do you not see the debt that we owe them? Where did Jesus come from? He's a Jew. He's a Jewish Messiah. And so they will look on the one whom they have pierced. And they're going to weep. And they're going to mourn. Because what are they going to (laughs) realize? That he, but see, it's not, see, they missed his first coming. But they're going to catch his second. See, does that start to make sense? See, that's how it all comes about. Revelation 1 and 7 says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. When he rose and he went to heaven, from the Mount of Olives. That's where he made his ascension. I visited that church too. Catholics have built a church everywhere. So the Church of the Ascension, there's a little square on the ground where Je- supposedly Jesus' right foot was at when he ascended. I was like, what happened to his left one? They're like, "It's had an- they cut that rock out and put it in another church. I'm like, come on guys, the Catholics are so funny. You know, they make everything into something you touch. And so there were all these people bowing in there, weren't there? That's where he ascended from the Mount of Olives. But when he ascended, what does Acts say? That as he ascended, a cloud caught him up, right? And then two angels appeared by the disciples, and they said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus you saw go, He will also come in like manner." See, this is see, this is all coming about, and we love it. I love Israel. There are brothers and sisters there, but see, they just didn't catch the first round. And that's what's sad, isn't it? And they practice. They practice the Mosaic law. That's what our guide told us. He said he studied Torah. And I, and I used the Jewish word And when we went to one of the sites. He said, you know the Hebrew scriptures? I said, because he already told me he studied Torah. I said, I too study Torah. He was like, what? Because in his mind, he didn't have that kind of context. He Christianity to him is a Western religion. And so it it doesn't fit for him. So as we look, they're going to look on the one that they have pierced. So Jesus came to take a bride from the inhabitants of the earth. The friend of the bridegroom made preparations. Who is the friend of the bridegroom? John the Baptist. He's called the friend of the bridegroom. John the Baptist was the friend of the bridegroom. He made preparations. That's what the friend did. They made preparations for the wedding. The friend decreased. John said, I must decrease so he can increase. He increased, but what is the increase of the groom? When you went to your wedding, Tommy, and you went in a single man, right? There's your increase. There's your increase. So in, in the same way, when Adam, I've gone over this, but I'm going to do it again in light because I think somebody's going to get it today. When Adam needed a bride, God put him to sleep and he took from his side a rib and he formed a woman. Whenever Christ... Took a bride, he died on a cross, his side was pierced. Getting the imagery? He laid in a tomb, he slept, and while he slept, a bride came forth, and he arose with a bride. It's the exact same. See, there's the first Adam, and Jesus is called the last Adam. So, see, it's the same bride language. You're the bride of Christ. So, the increase was his bride. Christ has been increasing for 2,000 years. His bride will be taken to himself to remain fully identified with him. The Jewish Messiah, Jesus, will rule from Israel as Israel was and is God's covenant people. They are. Still are. His family. I am a part of that family by marriage. They are his own. The Bible calls them his own. He said, "I came to my own, and my own did not receive me." They still remain his own. Your homework is to read Romans seven. I mean, eleven. Romans eleven, and you'll see that his own. They are his own, and so they will look at him that they are pierced. And they will mourn because of him. Jesus delivers his one last intense sermon with seven points in Matthew 24, or the, the end of Matthew 23. It's got seven points, and they all start. I mean, imagine if Mike got up this morning and you had this seven-point message. This is how You do have 17, but they're not like this. This was his seven, This was his seven points. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Point one. Point two, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Point three, woe to you, all the way. Seven woes. Can you imagine sitting under that sermon? Woe to you. Woe to you. And then it's how many of you feel like that would be an intense sermon? Well, the disciples thought it was too, and they're in the temple. They're in the temple in Jerusalem, and he's delivering this sermon. Can you imagine the scribes? How would you, if you're the scribes Pharisees sitting in the room, how do you feel? Angry enough to kill him? Angry enough to kill him? They were. He picked a fight. They're they're leaving out, after he delivers this mic drop sermon, he closes it and he walks out. The disciples are following him. You know how you feel when something really kind of tense is happening. And everybody feels kind of awkward. You know what I'm talking about. You know, that feeling you're like, and you're trying to break the ice a little bit. Well, so here, this is what the as they're leaving the temple, the disciples are walking away from his He are walking away with his disciples, and they're bringing attention to all the buildings. They're like, look at what they're trying to do, is they're trying to bring. They're trying to gently bring Jesus back. To the impressive nature of the covenant and all these things that have been. that See, because to look at the buildings is to say, remember we were in Babylonian captivity and the temple of Solomon was destroyed, but you brought us back, but the Lord brought us back and he gave us, he, he's the one who gave us Ezra and Nehemiah. And we built the wall and we built the temple. And then this temple complex is because of God's faithfulness. So that's what, that's what they're doing. They're pointing at the buildings not because they're just wanting to talk about architecture. They're pointing at the buildings because they're drawing attention to the buildings going, you remember who we are, Jesus. The seven messages of woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, might not have hit really well. Don't you know? Look at all this. This is proof positive. God is for us. Yeah, Yeah, and they remind and here's, what, and here's what Jesus says in response to them going, we're the covenant people. He says, do you see all these things? They're like, yeah, we're trying. Here's Jesus talking. He asked, truly I tell you, not one stone, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Can you imagine if you're his disciples at that point, what do you do? Jesus was sitting on, then later on they just, they just quit talking you know what I mean And then we, we move in the narration now Jesus is back on the mountain it takes a little while you don't just walk out the temple door and you're at the mountain you have to go it's, it's a little while later so that's kind of set Jesus just told you that and you're a disciple what's your question you either think first he's crazy you're mad he's just talking out of emotion but you know who he is so what, what's your next question you say, stop okay. What's your next question? After the situation cools off, what's your next question? When does this happen? Yeah. See, that's exactly what they ask. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. This is not, this is not a sermon for the crowd. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your... Two questions. When will this happen? All this stuff is destroyed. Second question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's two questions. Well, the sign of your coming and the end of the age. That's this. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch, therefore... 24, he goes on to 42, and do, we're not going to read the whole thing. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. To summarize, there's an end, deception is real, and the Lord is coming. You see, that's the, and I think that, you know, the Lord coming. Israel missed the first coming. Not all of Israel, come on, not all. There's Today, I looked up the statistic, there's 20,000, 20,000, That doesn't sound like a lot, though, does it? 20,000 Messianic Jews living in Israel. Now, there's many more throughout the United States. The largest concentration of Jews in the world other than Israel is where? In the United States. And there's many Messianic Jews. The Lord is coming. That's That's what he said. The prophets had prophesied a suffering Savior and a victorious king. The two seemed incompatible to Jewish rabbis. A suffering savior and a Jewish king. Would that be hard for you if you're looking from that direction? If you hadn't seen the cross yet, it would be hard for you, wouldn't it? Y'all, would, we would be we would be arguing over his coming and what that looked like, the same way we argue and question over the second coming because we don't see it yet in fully, do we? So, the theory of the two messiahs came forth. Two messiahs. No, Messiah Ben Joseph and Messiah ben David. Now not Joseph Jesus' daddy, you know, earthly, you know, adopted father. Joseph, Genesis Joseph, the one who was s- sold into slavery and all suffering, the suffering savior. Like Joseph who saved Israel. And then Messiah ben David, the one who would be the deliverer and the kingly and the majesty. It was two aspects they saw, but it was only one Messiah. One Messiah, not two Messiahs in one coming. But it was one Messiah and two comings. See, that's the deal, two comings. His first coming, he came to redeem. His second coming, he will come to judge. His first coming, he came and suffered. That's history. That is history today. He will come back and reign. That's prophecy. His first coming, he rode in on a donkey. His second coming... He will ride a white stallion. His first coming, he came as a lamb in silence. His second coming, he will come as a lion with roaring. His first coming, he was judged. His second coming, he will be the judge. His first coming was in humility by virtue of the cross. His second coming will be in glory. And that will be the day of the Lord. You see, when Jesus walked into the temple and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the recovering of sight to the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to set release of the prisoners, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he didn't read any further, did he? He stopped. What's the next line of the prophecy? And to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't read that portion. That's still to come. The second coming is the coming in vengeance, is the coming in power. And he will execute judgment over everything. Our greatest enemy today is deception. It really is. It's our greatest enemy today is deception. And that became my big question in teaching this. With the thought, what if I have to face the Antichrist? And what if I, as a teacher, that's my position in the body of Christ. I am a teacher. It is to bring people to the fullness of Christ. That's what my teaching is supposed to do according to Ephesians. And that what if I just never wanted to teach this because it might have been controversial. And what if I had a group of people who believed in a pre-tribulation rapture when in fact it wasn't a pre-tribulation rapture, and that the great falling away, I, by virtue of not saying anything, perpetrated the great falling away because of the great delusionment because of the Antichrist rising. You see what I'm saying? To me, it's not worth it to say, oh, that's just the way it is, don't worry about it. Because the Bible doesn't specific, I cannot stand up here and tell you, that you're getting out of here before the first seal is broken. I can't tell you that. And if I can't tell you that, even though the Assemblies of God, that's their position. It's not, see, all of us believe in a rapture in a catching away, right? It's just when. And so, as we look at that, I feel like we have to be students of the Word to look at this. Now, let's read 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9. And we're... So I want you all to hear the script. And this may be, this is going to be a lot of scripture. I don't know how to do this without teaching scripture. Okay, I didn't put it in my notes, so I have to look it up. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9. Okay, Okay, the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, is connected with the activity of Satan. With all power, signs, and false wonders. With what? Signs and false wonders. Does that sound like a recipe for deception? So this calls for sobriety, doesn't it? But see, now, wait, wait. If you don't think you ever see the Antichrist, it's no big deal. If you're you're raptured before and you don't ever have to see the Antichrist, then this is no big deal. But if you have to face the Antichrist, this becomes a really big deal, does it not? Okay, so let's look. And with every kind of wicked deception toward those who are perishing. They perish. Now, toward those who are perishing. Now, look, it's toward those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God sends them. Who sends them? God sends them a delusional force to lead them to believe what is false. So they may be judged. God God allows. God prophesies the fact that there is an antichrist coming. And... And, and so, yeah, faith in Christ and have our faith in Christ. But so what we have here, now, see, we look at this and we're like, now, how many of y'all We're like, we don't talk about this a lot? Because we look at this and we say, now, you may say, there's no other context for this in Scripture, but I will send you to, on your own time, cross-reference it to 1 Kings 2, 21 through 23, whenever the divine council meets in the heavens and King Ahab is fixing to die. 1 Kings 2, 21 and 23. King Ahab is going to die. It's time for King Ahab to be dethroned. And we see this whole divine council meeting in the heavens. And God, Yahweh, asks the question, Who will remove King Ahab? What plan do we use? And different options are thrown out by different divine beings. We can do this and we can do that. We're like, wait a minute, God don't have, to ask him. He don't have to ask anybody anything, but he does. It's how he rules. The Bible is clear about that. And so he's asking all these people, how do we do it? And a spirit, it says, comes forth and says, I will go as a lying spirit in the prophet's mouth. And I will prophesy that they're going to win the battle and draw Ahab into the war. And he will be destroyed. And that's it. 1 Kings 2. 21 through 23. And so that's that's the Bible. That's the word of God. And so Micaiah the prophet comes and tells Ahab and all them. He tells them, he tells them this is what's going on. There's a lying spirit in your prophet's mouth to draw you to death. And what does Ahab do? <laughs> he doesn't believe him because he's an idiot. And he's under delusion. Do you understand the strength of delusion? But we we would that would be. But we'll have to look at scriptures and see if scriptures actually point that. If say, actually say that that's true. That's in our mind. Okay, because we have that, Andy. That's great, and that's exactly right. We would say, well, that's because everybody left is delusional, and there's no way they can be saved, except for the fact that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people saved during the tribulation. Well, (laughs) so. But there's a strong delusion in the land, and the church is gone, and the Spirit's not wooing people anymore. How many of you think you can get saved unless the Spirit draws you? You can't. You can't. Right there proves it. People who are going to perish are going to perish. There are going to be people who are going to flat out, they're going to perish, and they're going to believe a lie. And that's just going to be it. Now, as we look at that, so for the lawless, now here is a, I want to read you, this is a first century document called the Didache. It is the oldest piece of, of, it's not scripture, this is a writing of the first century, the oldest writing outside of the New Testament that we have preserved. Here is what the Didache taught, the first. what did they teach? What did the first church teach? Here's what they taught. For as lawlessness increases, they will hate and persecute and betray one another. And then the deceiver of the world will appear as a son of God. And will perform signs and wonders, and the earth will be delivered into his hands, and he will commit abomination, the likes of which have never happened before. So when I say that, and I ask the question now, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this, I'm, I'm bringing this to a place to where I want you to leave out of here and go. I want to search Scripture for myself. Because if you don't want to search scripture for yourself, then you will just be subject to whatever happens. And not know. And not, know, and not be prepared. Mm. Titus 2, 11 and 13 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. There is a blessed hope. And the blessed hope, biblical hope is different from worldly hope. Worldly hope is in the presence of, Of all the bad, I have the possibility that things might get better. That's worldly hope. Hope is present whenever, even in the midst, the probability still says that things could get better. That's worldly hope. Biblical hope is not the same. Biblical hope is absolute certainty. Absolute certainty. Biblical hope is God said it that solves it. That settles it. I believe it. So when we look at the end time study and we begin to ask the questions, and we're going to get to the scroll and Jesus is going to take the scroll and he's going to pop the first seal. And the antichrist is going to rise. And then he's going to pop the second seal, and wars. And then he's going to pop the third seal, and then there's going to be famine. And then he's going to pop the fourth seal. And it's just going and it moves <clears throat> very quickly. And then he gets to the fifth seal, and things start getting worse. And then he gets to that sixth seal. And then after the sixth seal is broken, y'all go and read it. I hope y'all are reading it. You need to read it. And then there's going to be space. There's going to be silence for about an hour in heaven. Can you imagine that? Dead silence. And another angel is going to come forth. And he's going to say, Hang on. Before anything is done, go seal the 144,000. 12,000 from every tribe in Israel. Because when that seventh seal breaks, all hell is going to break loose. See, that's not even wrath yet. One, two, three, four, five, six. Those are just seals. Whenever the seventh seal is broken, the scroll unrolls. And in the seventh seal, there are seven judgments, trumpet blasts, and there are seven bowls of wrath, and there are three woes. And that's what's unleashed on the world. And I know all of you were here wanting the question, will I be here or will I not? Is that not the question? Is that ultimately what all of us want to know? Come on, answer it. Is that not true? You know? Well, I will put it into category of we are supposed to hasten the day of the Lord. Now, let me ask you this question. Regardless, regardless of where we're at, do you trust God? And so I think it's important to look at eschatology because I think eschatology has a great bearing on how we live today. I think if without a proper understanding of end times, we do not live soberly, we do not live watchfully, we do not live intentionally, we do not live righteously, we do not live in an attitude of preparedness. So that's our introduction, and here we go. Y'all ready? Y'all read. I want y'all to read. You need to do this. Y'all need to read Revelation. Read First and Second Thessalonians. And read Daniel. Read all of those. Read them and reread them.